welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Community Church. Oh man, thank you, Stacey. Good morning. I was thinking this morning um, when a bunch of people would be away because of the football that church services slightly resemble a football match in some ways. They're generally about 90 minutes long. Generally a sort of game of two halves. We sort of switch into the second half now, a bit of a change of pace. It made me reflect that the main uh, difference, unfortunately, is the lack of half-time refreshments in a church service. So one to take to the team to think about, I think, for the future. I'm going to start by telling you a few stories. Back in 303 AD, 1700 plus years ago, the Roman Emperor uh, Diocletian published an edict aiming to stamp out a troublesome Christianity. It, um, the edict did say it sanctioned, it forbid Christians to meet together, uh, sanctioned removing their property. Uh, denied Christians access to the courts and to legal process, destroyed their places of worship. But perhaps the most significant thing that the edict did was order the destruction of their books. So wherever this persecution was pursued, the Romans would come and raid the houses of the Christian readers, the lectors as they were called back then, uh, and burn their books and try and destroy their scriptures. You see, the Romans knew, and Diocletian knew, that central to the Christian faith was their sacred texts, the reading of the Bible. Uh, did I have a picture of, uh, of old Diocletian? Do you want to see him before I move on? There he is. Baddie. About 50 years later came the birth of Augustine of Hippo. Here he is. Here's a picture of Augustine. In his famous pear tree incident, if any of you have, have kind of read the life of Augustine, his sort of thing he most troubled his conscience was nicking some pears. And I won't explain that. If you're interested, you can go and find out why later. But Augustine of Hippo, in his early life, was not a Christian. His mother was a Christian, so he knew the Christian faith, but his father was not a Christian. And for many years, neither was Augustine. He uh, pursued women and intellectual achievement through his early life. Uh, one of his famous prayers was, God, give me chastity, but not yet. He um, spent some time in the Manichaean religion, but he couldn't find peace. And eventually, um, he entered a period of deep spiritual longing and a kind of returning to God. And the key moment came when he was 31. And here's how he tells the story. Uh, Augustine wrote this, I probed the hidden depths of my soul and wrung its pitiful secrets from it. And when I mustered them all before the eyes of my heart, a great storm broke within me, bringing with it a great deluge of tears. I stood up and left my friends so that I might weep and cry to my heart's content. I had much to say to you, my God, not in these very words, but in this strain, Lord, will you never be content? Must we always taste your vengeance? 
Forget the long record of our sins, for I felt that I was still the captive of my sins. As I was asking myself these questions, weeping all the while with the most bitter sorrow in my heart, I heard the singing voice of a child in a nearby house. Again and again, it repeated the refrain, take it and read, take it and read. I stemmed my flood of tears and stood up, telling myself that this could only be a divine command to open my book of scripture and read the first passage on which my eyes should fall. I seized it and opened it, and in silence, I read the first passage on which my eyes fell. Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries. Rather, arm yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetites. I had no wish to read more and no need to do so, for in an instant, as I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. Augustine powerfully encountered the reality of God as he read the scriptures in a way that turned his life around. He went on to be one of the greatest leaders the Christian church has ever had. The key figure of the Protestant Reformation was Martin Luther. Here's our next story. Luther had decided to become a monk and a theologian against his father's wishes. Uh, he was extremely bright, very hardworking, but troubled by his conscience and profound inner struggles with God. And he tells his story like this. I had indeed been captivated with an extraordinary love for understanding Paul in the epistle to the Romans. But up till then, a single word in chapter one, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's from Romans chapter one. That word had stood in my way, for I hated that word, righteousness of God, which according to the use and custom of all my teachers, I had been taught to understand as the righteousness with which God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I did not love. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the righteousness with which the merciful God justifies us by faith. Here I felt I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. There a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. Thus, that place in Paul was for me truly the gate to paradise. 
This man knew his Bible, studied the Bible, taught the Bible. Yet in this moment, in the midst of his labors, God met him and revealed a truth which set him free. A powerful encounter which changed his life and changed the course of history. He was the key figure in the Protestant Reformation, a tradition in which we here at Amblecote stand. Finally, final story for you. Less than 100 years ago, more recent, in the Cold War, a young Dutch missionary named Andrew snuck into a communist youth congress in Poland in the Soviet bloc. And whilst he was there, he came to see that there was a desperate need in the churches behind the Iron Curtain for Bibles. They didn't have um, many or any uh, often under the Soviet era. And so he began making trips into Soviet Europe uh, in his car, driving across the border, carrying a load of Bibles hidden in various places in his car. Not hidden particularly well. <clears throat> and whenever he was stopped at checkpoints at the border, he would pray this prayer. He would pray, Lord, in my luggage, I have scripture I want to take to your children. When you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now I pray, make seeing eyes blind. Don't let the guards see those things you do not want them to see. And again and again, the guards would search his car, pull open the rubbish hiding stuff, and the Bibles would be there, and they just wouldn't see them. And he would continue on his way through the checkpoints. And this, uh, this missionary, Andrew, became known as Brother Andrew, and his ministry carrying Bibles into the communist bloc grew to become Open Doors, a charity which supports persecuted Christians around the world now. And we here support them at Amblecate. You'll be familiar with Open Doors, I'm sure. I tell you these stories to make clear to you that Christianity has always been a religion of the book. Reading the Bible has always been absolutely central to encountering God and experiencing him, central to the transformation of Christians, central to the health and identity of the church. God's uh, revelation in the Bible is foundational for each Christian personally and for every church corporately. And that's why one of the most important spiritual disciplines in the Christian life is the discipline of reading the Bible. For 2,000 years, this has been the case. So this morning, we take a break from our Mark series, obviously by now, hopefully. Um, and we're, we're spending the morning back in one of our longer-term series that we're doing over several years, really, um, on the spiritual disciplines. And obviously, we're going to look at, at reading the Bible today. And one of the things we try to emphasize uh, in all of the spiritual disciplines that we teach on is that the disciplines are crucial both for encounter and for formation. It's a balance that we try and hold here at Amblecate. It's as we do these things, these spiritual disciplines, we both expect to meet with Jesus and experience him and also to be shaped into his image. So in the time that I've got this morning, the time that's left, I want to kind of briefly suggest to you how reading the Bible is important for 
um, encounter and experience in Jesus and also important for our formation. And then I'm going to leave you uh, with some challenges. <coughs> Many of you here will know Mike and Heather Bennett. A lovely couple. Don't worry, Mike. I ain't going to get you up or anything. It's okay. I'm just going to tell a story about you. Wonderful couple in our church family. And uh, at some point in the last year, over lunch, they told me a modern-day Bennett proverb. They said to me, if someone comes saying they want a word from the Lord, then we tell them, go and read the Bible. That's what they told me. Fantastic bit of mature Christian wisdom. Doesn't quite have the same ring in my accent. You want Mike's thick black country accent to really get the best of that parable, that proverb. But you get the idea. You see, the foundation for why the Bible is so important for encountering Jesus is our belief that the Bible is the word of God. Just as we believe that Jesus was both fully man and fully God at the same time, not 50%, 50%, 100% of both, we also believe that the Bible is both man's word, many authors written over at least a thousand years in different times and places in history, so it's fully man's word, 100%, And yet, also, we believe that God, in his sovereignty, has also made it his word, 100% his word, in which he chooses to reveal who he is to mankind. And this holding together of the Bible as both man's word and God's word is um, crucial to our doctrine of scripture. It's crucial to how we interpret the Bible. But this morning, uh, the main point is that it's crucial Uh, for our expectation that in the Bible we meet with God. We meet with God. Over and over again, Christians have found that in reading the scriptures, Jesus encounters them. We describe it in different ways, I think. You might hear some Christians talk about feeling like words jump off the page to them. You might hear others talk about feeling particularly drawn to the bit of scripture that they're reading. Others will talk about a sense that they're not just reading, but that God is somehow speaking into their heart through what they read. For me, it's often a kind of bubbling up of emotion when I experience Jesus meeting with me in the scriptures. I sort of feel moved and tearful in a way that I can't quite put into words. There's no single kind of right way that we encounter Jesus in scripture, but it happens over and over again. He meets his people through his word. And the Bible itself, I think, kind of alludes to these sort of experiences. Um, I want to read you a few. I can't remember if I put these on a slide or not. Oh, there you go. I did. When God calls the prophet Ezekiel, we read this. God said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and that was in my mouth as sweet as honey. It's a bit weird. Many of the prophet's experiences are a bit weird. But I think this captures something similar to our experience of meeting Jesus in Scripture. 
Ezekiel is not just to read the word. The scroll represents the word of God. Ezekiel is not just to read it. He's to eat it. He's to consume it. It's an embodied, visceral kind of engagement with God's word. The word of God goes into Ezekiel in this holistic way. And Jeremiah speaks in the same way, where he says to God, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me joy and the delight of my heart. And the word that Jeremiah eats, say, transforms him, that later on he says, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot, cannot hold it in anymore. This is what it's like to encounter God in his word. His word. word somehow enters deeply into it. We feel not just that we've read it, but somehow we've consumed it. And it becomes a fire in the bones, the kind of living word of God, kind of throbbing in us. And of course, I don't mean that every time we read the Bible, it's like that. But when we encounter Jesus in Scripture, it is. And they are transformational times. So there you go. So reading the Bible is one of the primary ways, if not the primary way, that we as Christians encounter and meet with Jesus. So developing a habit and a discipline of reading scripture is really important if you want to encounter Jesus, like if you want to experience him, if you want to experience Jesus and the presence of God and be transformed by those encounters, then it's really important to develop a habit of reading the Bible. But we don't just read the Bible for these particular experiences. We also read the Bible in order that we might be shaped and formed by the word of God into the people that he calls us to be. Each of us is being shaped all the time. Who you are, who you are becoming, who I am, who I'm becoming, is constantly influenced by the world around us, by the people we spend time with, the culture we live in, the things we watch, read, listen to, the ways of life that seem normal to us. This is something we're unpacking in much greater depth over the coming year in unravelling our, our whole church teaching project for the year. Um, but the point for now is that none of us, none of us just kind of becomes who we are um, in a simple way. We're constantly being shaped, constantly being formed, influenced. And one of the most important ways we are formed is by the story that we live our lives by. The narratives that we use to make sense of life. Say, for example, some of us live in the story that the world is essentially a dangerous place. People can't really be trusted. And so we have to be very careful to keep ourselves safe and those that we love safe in life. That's a story that many of us live in. However, there's others of you in the room who tend to live in a story that says, the world is basically a wonderful place. Most people are just friends I've yet to make. And so I can relax and sail on and everything will be okay in the end. Two very different stories, but they shape the way that you behave. They shape the way you live. They're kind of simple examples, but hopefully you get the idea. And whether you consciously think about those stories much or not, they have a great influence on who we are and who we become. 
Well, the Bible is critical because it also tells a story. To use the images from earlier in the service that Lynn brought us, it's, it, we, we live in a drama, she said. Scripture tells us the story of the drama that we live in. It tells a story about who God is, what the world is like, who we are, what we were made for, what's gone wrong, what God's doing to put it right. And this story is not just a storybook story, but it's a story that we can live in. It tells a story that we're to embody, a story that shapes how we see the world and therefore how we live. And the story of the Bible is so important because in contrast to every other story, it is the one story that is fully true. The one true story. And a good question for all of us to ask every now and then is, what story am I living in? What narrative am I living in, in the way that I act? Are we living in the biblical story of creation, fall, redemption, covenant, promise, Jesus, salvation, resurrection? Is that the narrative that's shaping our lives or not? And if you're not sure, again, engage with unravelling and, and we'll, we will pull these things apart a bit more. But to mature as a Christian, to become a mature Christian is to increasingly live in line with the biblical story. To let that story be the shaping narrative of who we are and the lives that we live. But we're only going to do that if we know it, of course. And thus, the discipline of reading the scriptures is really important for our formation as well as for encounter. There's two images used in the New Testament that I think are also helpful when we think about the importance of the Bible for our maturing. Uh, First, um, both in Paul's letter to the Corinthians and in Hebrews, we find this image of milk and solid food. When you have a new baby, um, the only food that they can have is, is their milk, obviously. And that's like, great, the milk's a good thing. It's what they need. It's the best thing for them. But as they grow and get bigger, they need more than just milk. They need solid food. And this is the image that Paul uses for the Christian life. So, so too, in the Christian life, when we're new to faith, we need the basic nourishment of uh, what he calls the kind of first things, the things of first importance. He tells us some of them, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, raised on the third day, that he appeared to the disciples, resurrected. Hebrews talks about uh, the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, instructions about baptism, prayer, the resurrection and judgment. These are crucial things. When we need faith, these are what we need. It's the best thing for us. But if we want to mature, then we need not just the milk, but the solid food as well. And that is what kind of grasping and living in the story, the narrative of the Bible is. I think, is part of that solid feed. The other image we find is of a ship being blown about by the wind and the waves. And we find this in the letter to yeah. Ephesians, where Paul calls the church to become mature so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And there's, there's more that Ephesians has to say about how this happens. But this is helpful for us, I think, like, 
when we're formed by the scriptures, we're less liable to be get blown around by any old thing that someone says or that we come across on the internet or that we hear on the news. And we're going to be more stable, more stable in our faith, more mature. So there we go. That's, again, very short, but hopefully you get the idea. You get some of the uh, importance of reading scripture for our formation. Okay, summary, Bible, very important for encounter with Jesus and for formation as Christians. I don't imagine many of you are going to disagree with me about that. There's many things you might disagree with me about. I doubt this is going to be one of them. But saying it's important and actually developing a meaningful discipline of this in your life are very different things, aren't they? So it'd be a bit pointless for me to spend 20 minutes telling you it's really important and then leave it at that. So what I thought I'd do is I'd, I'd, try, a, I'd try an experiment and a new approach to this. I thought I'd throw out 10 challenges the idea is not that you try and do all 10, okay? It's not like the 10 tasks of Hercules where you've got to knock them off. 10 challenges, the idea is if you struggle to have a meaningful rhythm of reading the Bible, pick one of these 10 and have a go, okay? But I've also got some of you in there, for those of you that maybe have uh, many years of reading the Bible faithfully and it's just got a bit stale, so I've got some, you know. So I'm hoping that there's one for everyone, Okay? And uh, yeah, I'll talk through them as we go. So I'd encourage you, you know, if you fancy it, pick one of these, give them a try, and then journey it with your friends or your, the other Christians in your life. You know, have some accountability, have some sort of, tell them you're going to have a go, and uh, have a bit of fun. Have a bit of fun with this. So here's the first one. Uh, despite the two numbers that I've obviously put on that slide, this is actually just the first challenge. I think it might be Frankie's fault, actually, because he fiddled with my slides, so I, I reckon it's Frankie. So here's the first challenge. I've talked about the big narrative of the Bible. If you think, I don't really grasp that very well, and I struggle with that, then come to the Bible course. The Bible course is eight evenings, and the whole point of the Bible course is to help you grasp the big picture of Scripture, to help you grasp the big narrative. Um, so the course is going to be run by Joy and Andy and Tom Unit, and it's on these Wednesday evenings. This is out, going out in the newsletter, we'll go out on social media as well. And the teaching is, uh, is these videos that have been produced by the Bible Society. They're excellent, and, and on each evening there'll be a chance to watch those videos together, discuss it, work through the material. So I'd highly recommend this, and um, yeah, if you, so if you're interested... Uh, just pop me an email or speak to me or grab Tom or join Andy and we'll get you signed up. But this starts in about a month time, so you've got plenty of time to, to think it through. As you can see from the dates, there's a two-week break over the Easter holidays. Yes, you do sort of four before the holidays, four after the holidays. So that's my first challenge. If you, if you really, you know, you either want to go deeper or you find the Bible hard, get along to this. And uh, I'm sure you'll find that really helpful. Okay. My second challenge is for those of you who have more time in life. Say so perhaps, um, you know, we all say we're busy, we all struggle with time, but truth be told, some of us do have more time than others. 
So sometimes, not obviously there'll be exceptions, so don't you know, yell at me, but, but sometimes if you're single, you'll find that you have more time. Sometimes if you are in your later years, you'll find you have more time. Sometimes, I really want to, there's not many of them in the room, so, but, but young adults or old teenagers, you often have more time. I know, because I was in that phase of life once. Uh, you often have more time. So here's my challenge for those of you who have more time. Read 10 chapters a day. Get through the whole Bible. There's nothing you could do better than this to really get a grasp of the whole thing and how it fits together. If you, when we read small chunks, it takes us so long to get through books of the Bible that by the time we get to a kind of... We, we struggle to sort of see how it all fits together in our head. We kind of, we're in the bit we're in, but we don't have the scaffold. The best thing you can do to get a picture of the whole is read it through quickly. Ten chapters a day, you finish Genesis in five days, and you're on to Exodus. And it's so helpful. I did this in my teens. I did this in my teens. It's the most helpful thing I ever did for understanding the Bible. Read it in big quantities, at speed. Don't worry about understanding it all. Don't worry about understanding the details of what you're reading. Just get through it. Get a big picture. Say, yeah, this was brilliant foundation for me. And so, yeah, particularly late teens, young adults, if you've got time to do this, go for it. Nothing like it. Yeah. And then when you've done this, you see, when you then are coming back to a particular bit, you're like, oh, yeah, I sort of I remember how that fits in. Anyway, here's a second one, perhaps for those who have a bit more time or, um, or, or enough time anyway. Try reading the Bible in the year, but try doing it chronologically. You can find plans online for this sort of thing. If you just Google this, you'll find a reading plan. The books of the Bible are not in order, not in chronological order in your Bible. They're grouped by type. So you've got the law, then you've got history, then you've got wisdom literature, and then you've got the prophets in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you've got the Gospels, then you've got the letters. They're not in order. But reading through the books actually in kind of chronological order can be really helpful. You know, when you actually read a bit of history and then the prophet who spoke to Israel at that time in history, suddenly you're like, ah, now I understand why the prophet was saying that because this is what was going on. So you can find plans for this online. I'd really recommend that as well. Okay, a few challenges for those who have less time and for these, those things would be too intimidating. Here's one for parents. My challenge for parents is read the Bible with your children. Um, This is true in all parenting, that your children will be less influenced by what you tell them than by what you show them. Okay? That load of nonsense about do what I say, not what I do, is like the worst parenting line ever. And it won't work. It'll be massively outweighed by what you show them in your own life. So, make sure all your children have a Bible that is age-appropriate for them. You know, give them a new one when they get a bit older and they need one that's better, and read it with them. Make the time to read it with them. If they see you reading your Bible and experience you reading their Bible with them, 
then the chances are that they will develop a habit of reading the Bible themselves. Uh, a bit of a top tip, which I have uh, third hand, I think, but I think its origin is with the Wilmots, is that you set a bedtime, and then you say, you can go to bed now, or you can stay up for 10 minutes more, and we'll read a bit of the Bible together. <laughs> is that true that that originates with you, Wilmots, or is this apocryphal? Yeah, great, okay. I've heard it was you guys, so you get the credit in my book. So there you go, that's, why, that's challenge for parents. Uh, and a fifth challenge, first thing, last thing. You may not have much time. No quantity attached to this, could be a couple of verses, word for the day, psalm, chapter, whatever. But when you wake up, read something. Before you go to bed, read something. There's something kind of settling about starting and ending the day with the word of God, okay? Sixth challenge. Um, I know some people that do this. Day to day, they have a, a very full life, so they squeeze 10 minutes a day in. Again, that's probably one chapter, something like that. 10 minutes a day. But once a month, they'll make a longer patch of time maybe a Saturday morning or an evening where they'll clear an evening and they'll say, this is my one evening a month where I'm going to have longer in Scripture. I know a couple of gentlemen in this church who do that. They, not every week, but some Saturdays, they'll clear a couple of hours for a kind of deeper reading and study. So 10 minutes a day, one evening or morning a month. That's the sixth. And here's some challenges uh, just to make things fresh. So seven, buy a study Bible. It's a myth that study Bibles are the advanced version that you get onto when you've read the first, your original Bible. Study Bibles are actually better if you're new to reading the Bible because it's just got maps and charts and explains things and whenever there's a complicated bit, we'll say, oh, this means that. Really helpful. So just buy a study Bible. We sell them cost price here, but you can get them, obviously, easily anywhere online. Eight... Again, if Bible reading is getting a bit stale, try Lectio Divino. This is a way of reading the Bible that is about entering imaginatively into the text. It focuses particularly on kind of encountering Jesus in Scripture. I'm not going to explain it. You can Google it because the kids are coming back, so we're getting a move on. Number nine, try a commentary. A commentary is just like kind of listening to a... Well, that makes sounds well. I can say listen to a continual preach. <laughs> oh, that could sound bad, couldn't it? It's like... Study Bible Plus. The Bible Speaks Today is a really accessible series. They pick a book of the Bible you really like, buy a commentary, work through it with a commentary, and the Bible, I think, will come alive to you. And the final challenge, try buying a Bible that has no verses or chapters. So often we read in verses and chapters, but the books weren't written like that. They were written as just texts. So you can buy these things called Reader's Bible that take all the verses and chapters out, and just have a go at reading like that, see how that goes. So here's the 10 challenges, I think a summary slide. Have a look through, make your mind up, pick one, and give it a go between now and Easter at least, and see how you get on. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Amblecote Community Church. For more information about who we are, what we believe, and how you can get involved, check out our website, 
ambocatecc.org.uk.